Hey, this is Nathan Jenkins from Loon Mountain Ministry, and I want to thank you for checking out our podcast today. We welcome you to join us, the trees, the rocks, and all of creation as we worship our great God. Enjoy the message. All right, I'm going to t- uh, direct your attention to the front of your bulletins now. Um, our, our reading this morning comes from Ecclesiastes 5, 8 through 9. Please use your outdoor voices as we read together. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Thank you, Sarah. All right. Wow, I'm coming through good. Am I too loud for anybody? All right. Only for myself, then. (laughs) Well, once again, we want to welcome you. Uh, Thanks for worshiping with us this morning. Um, My name is Drew. I am the assistant pastor here at Loon Mountain Ministry. And uh, I looked at the forecast uh, while Nathan was doing the announcements, and the rain isn't coming till about 4, so I've got the next three or so hours with you guys. That's our, no, just kidding. Uh, let's begin this next time again with a, a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we are filled with gratitude, Lord, as we come to your word and taking the posture of, of students, knowing that we do not know everything, Lord, and knowing that you have something to teach us this morning, myself included. Um, God, I just pray um, for wisdom um, for myself and for the the folks here listening, Lord, that your spirit would uh, just soften our hearts to receive the truth that you have for us from your word. Lord, if if there's anything uh, that I've prepared in my sermon that's just kind of my opinion, I pray that, Lord, you would just let it fall away. And I pray that your voice would be heard above my own and your heart would be seen in this message this morning. Father, most of all, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, it's only through him and his work that we can even approach you in prayer. So we're grateful and we pray this in his name. Amen. So we are in the midst of a uh, series a wisdom series, and uh, we started off with the book of Job. Last summer, you probably heard us preach on Job, and this summer, we are in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, And In the book of Ecclesiastes, there's actually two voices. There's one, the author, or the narrator, and the second voice is that of the teacher, who does most of the, the speaking in the book of Ecclesiastes. And this teacher... Uh, has spent their life, his life, in search of, of answers to some of life's most puzzling questions. Those questions consist of what is the meaning of life and what do we gain from all of our toil under the sun? This teacher was most likely the Israelite King Solomon, and he set out to find answers to these questions using his own life as the experiment. And the book so far has told of his personal pursuits 
of pleasure, wisdom, folly, and achievements. He left no stone unturned, but what he concluded is that all of these things that we can give ourselves to in life by themselves, apart from God, mean nothing in the grand scheme of things. What he concludes is that all these things by them, or excuse me, I've just read the same line twice. When it comes to pleasure and folly, they last for only a moment. When it comes to toil and achievement, everything you achieve, collect, or earn will one day be handed to, down to another and probably lost or forgotten or destroyed. When it comes to wisdom and knowledge, they will both die with you. The word which the teacher repeatedly concludes throughout the book is translated in most English languages as meaningless or vanity in lots of biblical interpretations. But this word in the original Hebrew is hevel, and the literal translation of that word is either vapor or smoke. And what the teacher wants us to realize is that, like smoke, you can't hold on to these things in life. Like vapor, they're here for a moment and then they're gone. The overall tone of Ecclesiastes is, is rather cynical, but there have been a few nuggets of wisdom that the teacher has offered on a positive note. One of those came in chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, when he said, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. And as we continue through the book, we're beginning to see a, a bit of a more complete picture of exactly what the teacher is driving at. Ecclesiastes is a great example of why it's so important to read the Bible in context. Without a proper understanding of the context of the specific book that you're reading and the biblical narrative as a whole across the entire Bible, we could quite easily be led to false conclusions about God, ourselves, and the world that we live in. So I want to read again today's passage from Ecclesiastes 5, verses 8 and 9. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. The teacher here is addressing issues of class conflict, oppression, and injustice. Class conflict and social injustice are no stranger to us in America today. I find these verses very timely in such a divisive moment in our culture and in our country. And although many of these issues of economic and social and racial injustice have resurfaced more in the past few years than in recent decades, this passage is a reminder to me that these issues are not new or unique to human history. Mankind has been battling injustice and impression ever since the time of Cain and Abel, and possibly even before. That being said, in light of Scripture as a whole, I think there's a lot to learn from this brief mention of class conflict and how we should relate 
to our increasingly divided culture and communities. The phrase that really stuck out to me when studying these verses was, do not be surprised at such things. And the aim for the rest of my sermon is going to kind of focus on that phrase and what does the teacher mean by that and why should we not be surprised? This again is an instance where understanding the heart of God expressed through scripture as a whole is necessary to discern what the author means here and what he doesn't mean. In Bible school, my professors would tell me to use, use scripture to interpret scripture. In other words, if we're not sure what a particular passage means, refer to passages that are clear in their meaning to help understand what might be less clear. And that's what I'm hoping to do this morning. So first I want to start off with what the author does not mean or cannot mean in his statement, do not be surprised, based on what we know to be clear from the rest of Scripture. And the first point I have is, do not be surprised does not mean that all people with wealth are opposed to God or that all people who are poor are for God. There's a difference between one who possesses money or, or wealth or power and one who idolizes it or abuses it. This passage is talking about ones who abuse that power. This is a passage that one could read and jump to the conclusion that wealth, money, power, and the people that possess them are in themselves evil. But the Bible doesn't say this. The Bible does say that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But it never says that money or those who possess it are, inher- are inherently wrong. There are kind of two extreme views in the, the Christian realm in relation to God and people and money. I'm sure many of you have heard the term prosperity gospel or prosperity preachers. Prosperity preachers are, are, are people who claim that God always blesses those who love and serve him by always giving them material possessions and wealth in this life. This is simply not true. The prosperity gospel is a false gospel. God never promises material blessings in this life. The one thing that he does promise in this physical world is is actually hardship to those who choose to follow him. Jesus says, In the world you have many troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In the midst of life's most difficult moments, he promises us his love, his joy, his peace, and his very presence with us. This is far more valuable than money, and it transcends material possessions. On the other side of the spectrum, there are such a thing as poverty preachers. You may have never heard that term, or it's not as common, but a poverty preacher would be somebody who claims that only those who are poor in this life are the ones who are truly living for God. And this simply isn't true either. The Bible is full of examples of both righteous and unrighteous people with and without wealth. Being wealthy or poor or powerful is not a measuring stick for a person's faith. God God desires for all people of all times and all uh, social statuses and all uh, races and all all people of, of, of all varieties to, to know him. And he uses 
all these people just the same. And we can't use this passage to say that everyone who possesses wealth is evil or an oppressor. Second thing that I don't think this do not be surprised statement means is that that we can't belittle or excuse injustices that are going on. Solomon is aware that oppression is happening on many different levels, both seen and unseen. In verse 8, he acknowledges that injustice is happening all the way up the chain. It says, uh, Do not be surprised at such things, for one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them are others higher still. In the same way, we should acknowledge all injustice. All injustice is wrong, and we should never use one to excuse another. It seems all too often, I see this all too often on an individual and a mass scale. My daughters, for example, I have a three and a four-year-old daughter, and one will come to me and say, Evie hit me, and the other say, well, Isla cheated. You know, we see this on a mass scale where uh, a murder or something is committed wrong and then uh, people backlash, you know, backlash that and, and just do more wrong to, to react. I think we all need to remember what many of our mothers told us, that two wrongs don't make a right. Romans 17 verses 17 through 21 are a picture of God's heart when it comes to responding when someone has done us wrong. It says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, on the contrary if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. To not be surprised doesn't mean that we excuse wrongdoing. So what does this statement mean? Although we should not be surprised, we should never cease to be saddened when we see evil in the world. But why? In my living room, there's a clock. It's one of our favorite pieces that hangs on the wall in our living room. And it's made from a, a, about a four foot tall piece of ash with a live edge on the one side. And in the top center is, is the actual clock mechanism. And about a month or so ago, that clock stopped working. And I, I'm an aspiring handyman, I'll say that. And uh, so I had never done any work on clocks. But I thought, hey, and I would hate to, for this clock to just be a broken you know, vessel on the wall for the rest of its life. So I, I got to try and fix this thing. So I went on Amazon and I found the, the right kind of clock mechanism. And I got it and I, and I did my best to install it. But for some reason it just will continue to stop working after a day or two. We'll set it and then it'll, it'll work for about a couple days and then it'll stop. And I change the batteries. I try different things and it just keeps stop stopping. And basically I've come to the point where 
If I reset it, I'm not surprised anymore when it breaks or when it stops working because I've come to grips with the, the fact that it's simply broken and I need somebody with a little bit more expertise to help me fix this clock. And I think that's kind of the idea behind this do not be surprised statement. What we need to understand is that humanity is broken. Ever since Adam and Eve's rebellion in the garden, we've been plagued with selfishness and greed and idolatry. This three-letter word that no one likes to hear about themselves, sin. Why would we be surprised when a, a system created and run by broken people continues to produce more brokenness? Yes, our systems are broken because they were created and have been run by broken people. But we've got to realize that it's not a matter of figuring out the right system. I think one of the most embraced fallacies in our culture today is that we can fix ourselves. That if we work hard enough, that if we have the right strategy, if we do good enough, if our intentions are pure enough, then we'll be able to fix ourselves. That we'll be able to clean up the mess that we've made. The Bible calls this self-righteousness. Thinking that, that we as individuals or as a whole are good enough on our own. And guess what? It doesn't matter if you're a religious person or not. If you think you're good enough to save yourself, that's self-righteousness. Jesus said it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call those who think that they are righteous, but to call those who know that they are sinners in need of a savior. And understanding that we're helpless to fix ourselves on every level is fundamental to understanding the gospel and choosing to follow Jesus. You see, the root of all these issues comes down to the human heart. Only God himself has the power to do a work in people's hearts and create genuine, lasting change. And it's only in these people's hearts who have been changed by a holy God can we become the agents of change that the world needs. This we can fix ourselves has caused many Christians, I believe, to place far too much faith in man-made institutions. No matter what side of the spectrum you find yourself, if you find yourself looking to an institution or a leader or a party or a system above Jesus, You've placed your hope in the wrong thing. You've made an idol for yourself. And I'm not just talking about government and politicians. I'm talking about churches and ministry leaders. Loon Mountain Ministry is not the good news of Jesus. Your pastor is not the Savior. I am not the Savior. Apart from the grace of Jesus, we are just another broken organization. We're not called to blindly follow any man or organization. We're called to follow Jesus. Christ and Christ alone is our hope for this life and for the next. I do, I do believe that Christians should have a place in politics and in their communities, but it's not in government that we find our ultimate place. 
a repeated phrase throughout scripture is that we are sojourners and exiles here on earth. This world is not our final destination. We're just passing through. Yes, we should absolutely care about this place that we're in. When the Israelites were living in exile, God told them to seek the welfare of their city. But he never wanted them to lose sight of where their true home was. Ultimately, we should want to participate in our local, state, and national government. This is a privilege that many people around the world don't have. However, we need to remember that our true citizenship belongs to a heavenly kingdom and our ultimate hope for a better future rests on King Jesus. It's only when his rule and reign are fully revealed that oppression oppression and injustice will cease. But until he does, we shouldn't be surprised when it occurs. The next point I want to make is that just because we're not to be surprised about injustice doesn't mean that we're okay with it or that we shouldn't fight against it. Those who are abused and oppressed are very close to the heart of God, and so should they be to ours. For a Christian, we should never become numb to the pain and suffering that is happening in the world around us. This should result in us working out our faith in a way that brings healing and rescue and redemption to our economies, to our governments, to our cultures, to our societies, to our homes. Jesus calls his followers salt and light in the world. People who expose deeds of darkness and preserve and protect what is good and right. Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Christians, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus today, we're called to seek justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly. But as Solomon tells us, we're we're not to be surprised when the world around us does not. We are called to meet people in their oppression, to care for them in their place of need, and to offer them good news of a true and better kingdom where Jesus sits on the throne. A kingdom where the king himself has taken up the cause of the oppressed and he stands in their defense. A kingdom where love and compassion reign. A kingdom where wrongs are made right. A kingdom where healing and forgiveness are offered without restraint to those who will confess their need for it. Jesus offers each one of us a place in this kingdom if we'll only confess our need for him as Savior and worship him as Lord. All of this is founded in the, in, the, in the knowledge of God's love for us. Scripture says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and so we should lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. Maybe you are a follower of Jesus and have been for some time. Maybe this whole Jesus thing is new to you. Either way, the good news is that you and I stand 
helpless and hopeless on our own. You and I have all chosen to go our own way. We have caused brokenness in ourselves. We've caused brokenness in those around us. And because of this, we should stand condemned before a holy God. But because of God's love, he saw each one of us in our broken state. He loved us and he didn't want us to stay there. And so what he did is he sent his most prized possession, his very own son, to earth to live a perfect life. To check all the boxes that you and I continue to fail to do. After he lived the perfect life, he then took our sin on himself and died as an atoning sacrifice on the cross so that the penalty for our sin would be paid. Our sin was nailed to the cross and buried in the grave. Jesus demonstrated his power over sin and death when he rose from the grave by the power of his spirit. And he now offers that power, that forgiveness to anyone who will call on his name for salvation. For those of us who put our faith in Jesus for that, he sends his spirit to live in us. We still don't rely on ourselves to live a life of obedience to God. It's still his work coming out through us by the power of his spirit. That is the sweetness of trusting Jesus that we sang about before. That you and I don't have to measure up. In fact, we can boast in the fact that we don't because there is one who stands in the gap for us and advocates for us on our behalf. And when God looks down, he doesn't see all of our poor deeds. He sees the perfection of of Jesus whose blood covered all of our sin. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Loon Mountain Ministry exists to be a center for the good news of Christ here in the White Mountains. I hope you guys heard good news today. I hope you were encouraged to follow Jesus, whether it's for the first time or once again. Uh, We love you all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the truth of the gospel. Lord, that Jesus became sin for us so that we might become righteous sons and daughters, Lord, who don't stand condemned, but who stand as sons and daughters, heirs to the throne, Lord. And because we've received that goodness, that love from you, Lord, we can stand in the gap for others who are being oppressed. Lord, let us not be surprised when we see the hurt and the evil that, th- that continues in the world, but let us not be okay with it. Let us be your hands and feet, Lord. Let us seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly so that the world might know of your love. We thank you for the ultimate picture of that in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. We here at Loon Mountain Ministry are committed to loving God, serving community, and enjoying mountains. We want to thank you for being a part of our collective high five this week. 
as we seek to be a light in the White Mountains and all around the world. Please feel free to reach out to us at info at loonmtnministry.com so we can get more connected. See you guys.